0: Today on the Scott Radley Show on 900 CHML.
1: Ward 1 councillor Aiden Johnson is not going to be seeking re-election. He's got another job. He's a lawyer. He's now got a job in that field. Uh, and he has decided that he is going to bow out of municipal politics after his one term that he has done. Uh, a councillor who, I would argue, who has not made himself wildly unpopular by any stretch. Some people do uh probably would have been reelected very good chance that he would have been reelected but he is not going to be running again now i did ask him to come on the show tonight he says he has another commitment and he has declined we would love to have him at some point has not happened yet but this makes now four vacant council seats ward 1 Ward 3, where Matt Green has announced he's going to run for the federal NDP. Ward 7, where Donna Skelly has already won her seat in the at Queen's Park. And Ward 14, Robert Pasuda, is not going to be running. And two other incumbents at this point, Jason Farr and Chad Collins, have not registered, though we expect that they will. So we're not going to leap to any conclusions that there will be more vacated seats. But who knows? You never know. But there's four for sure. So the question becomes is this churn in municipal politics? Is this churn? Is this new blood that will be coming into Hamilton City Council? Is this good news? Well, when we talk about these things, we often turn to our friend Brad Clark, who has been an MPP, he's been a city councilor. He's a man who knows his way around these areas. He joins us now. Brad, thanks for doing this today. Always a pleasure. So let me throw that right at you off the top. Is this good news that at least at, at least four people around the council table next year will be new?
0: It's, it's always good news to have new blood coming onto a council, um, but it also creates some challenges between now and the election because the city is very close to having the council declared a lame duck council under the Municipal Act.
1: Uh, what do you mean by that? Explain that.
0: Um, the Municipal Act, there's a section... Uh, t- 275 and what it says if you get to less than 75% of the incumbents returning then the council is re- has restricted decision-making authority until after the election.
1: So that means if, if 75% we have 15 councillors and a mayor if one more were to declare they're out this we're, would be a lame duck council.
0: We're definitely in lame duck territory at that point so for example uh, any expenditure that was not in the budget of uh, fifty thousand dollars or more would have to be put off until after the election.
1: And I presume, sorry, Brad, I presume that the reason for this—I've never—I actually did not—I was not aware of this. So, I, and I'm sure a lot of people weren't either. So, I'm glad you brought this up. I'm assuming the reason for this theoretically is. Uh, counsel, Aiden Johnson, Well, will use his name just because he pulled out uh, and he's not running again. I'm not in any way saying he would do this, but not even, let's not use his name. Let's just say Councillor X. Councillor X decides they're not going to run. They decide, though, they're going into a different line of work after they're done. The idea is prevent that councillor from passing any bylaws or anything or anything financial that would benefit them once they're out in another line of work.
0: Well, it's even more than that. It's, it's, it's ensuring that if there is more than 75% of the councillors leaving, then they're not. Um, uh, what would the term be? Handcuffing the future oh, okay. council with a bad decision. Um, for example, um, we need a new city manager. So should this city council, if it was a lame duck council, they would not be able to hire that city manager until they actually had a clear majority coming back in.
1: There's another interesting part about this, and I, when you raised that issue, just brought it to mind. Uh, Aiden Johnson. Matt Green, were two of the leading voices in the LRT fight. Yes, I hadn't thought of that. <laughs> but those are those <laughs> are two point. of the loudest speakers and most passionate speakers for the LRT. Uh, now, Robert Pasuda, who is also gone, was, mm, I think, leaning against it, and Donna Skelly was certainly against it, so maybe it balances out one way or another. But this uh, it does create now avoid a vacuum in that argument, too, which is obviously one of those things that will carry on to the next council. Yeah,
0: you know, if you if you have four new voices coming on, um, there may still be more. We don't know. Um, but you you definitely, well, we definitely know because of the veto scroll that LRT is going to be an election issue. But we really don't know what each of these ward um, members will do once they're in council and they actually are fully briefed on the LRT file.
1: What, it may be obvious, but what do we get when you get new blood brought into council? I mean, really, I know you, people will say, is it just, I mean, is new ideas, is that a, a fair answer? Is that really what we get?
0: I, I prefer the term a fresh set of eyes. So, um, uh, you know, when you're managing a company, for example... Um, I've been involved with many corporations where they would bring in a manager from uh, a different branch to do an inspection on another branch because it's a fresh set of eyes that sees things differently than the manager that is currently managing that facility. So when you have new blood coming in, you've got a fresh set of eyes, they're asking different questions, they're looking at things slightly differently, and it does give a higher degree of scrutiny to the decisions uh, that are being made by the council. You're listening to the Scott Radley Show podcast on 900 CHML. It's our
1: guru of municipal politics, if you will. I don't know, do I have to pay you more if I give you all these nice titles? No, but I feel inclined to say namaste. (laughs) (laughs) We're chatting about the fact that there are going to be now, we know four open seats. There are four incumbents who will not be back in this fall's election. Ward 1, Aiden Johnson announced today he is not going to be seeking re-election. Matt Green is out in Ward 3. He's running for NDP federally. Donna Skelly is already gone to provincial politics in Ward 7, and Robert Pasuda is stepping away in Ward 14. We've been talking about what this means. It'll bring in new blood, but Brad, it also means there are people who will be stepping away. Now, the sarcastic and the cynical and everyone else will say, great, everybody, get rid of them all. But what do we lose when people who have experience around the table step away?
0: Uh, For those that have been on council for a number of terms, like uh, Councillor Pursuta, who I I believe this is his third term, the end of his third term. uh, He has significant institutional history and understanding of of how the city runs uh he has tremendous knowledge about the agricultural community and farming and he he really does between him and and councilor ferguson they really do bring that to the table uh for the other three councilors uh this was their first term uh, but they had each very unique perspectives on 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 city politics on uh community organizing and and I mean, when they came in, they were that fresh set of eyes. And so we now lose that perspective. And, and that perspective, if you go around the table and you have 16 people and they all have slightly different looks on things, it really does help us develop better public policy.
1: Well, what's really interesting about this is that I went back and looked, and last election, I th- it was either four or five new councillors that we ended up bringing on, new people onto council. If you include the mayor, Eisenberger, who had been mayor but was not on council at that time, and so now you say, oh, there's going to be four more. So that means we're going to have nine new counselors in two. That's a, that's a good turnover. That means we got fresh blood, fresh bodies. What's interesting about this, though, is that Green, uh, Johnson, Skelly, they were all three of the ones who replaced people last time. So it's not, we're, we're getting some new ones in there, but it's always in the same spots. There are those who are perpetually lodged in their seats, and there are others now that seem to be a bit of a turnstile ward.
0: You're correct. Those three are were new members last time, and as I said, they brought in new perspectives. Um, and the incumbents, I, I would, I would bet, and I'm not a gambling man, but I would bet that Councillor Farr is going to run. I, I would expect bet so. That Councillor Collins is going to run. Yep. So there is a significant incumbency factor, which makes it challenging for uh, anyone to take out those incumbents. So we will have that strong institutional history, the understanding of how government actually works, but more importantly, they they have relationships with senior levels of government, which also helps to play into the success of the city.
1: Is city is being a, I mean, I, I know what your answer is going to be, but I'm going to throw it out there anyway. Is being a city councilor tough when some of these people take over win their seat? land on council for the first time do you think most people find that it is harder than they had expected when they decided to run the first time
0: if they're being honest yes um it it is a difficult job if you're doing the job right there is an awful lot of reading there's an awful lot of, of meetings to to be fully briefed um you have to be ready to ask critical questions you just can't sit in the chair and keep it warm you you People are expecting you to do the job as a member of that board, which is our city council. So it is a full-time gig and, and it is very challenging.
1: That said, it also does pay reasonably well. You're not going to go hungry if you're working as a city councillor. And I'm wondering now, people don't necessarily want to throw themselves into the mix to run against an incumbent often because that is very often a losing battle. It's hard to beat incumbents. But with open seats, with four open seats, do you expect that before the registration closes, I believe it's next Thursday on the 27th, will we see a surge of people now dumping their names into those wards, seeing an opening?
0: Uh, We have seen it already in in three of them, or two of them for sure. Uh, Councillor Skelly, Councillor Green's ward, there is a number of people that have, have now registered. I believe there's only one person registered in Ward 1, but we just learned about Councilor Johnson's decision. So historically, you're absolutely correct. You get lots of people running um, because they believe there's an opportunity. um, Since there isn't an incumbent, it'll be a little bit easier uh, to get in that seat. And then if they win, they hope to have that incumbency factor next time around.
1: Last thing then, does not having an incumbent, do you believe, increase voter interest? Because now, you know, we actually could have an impact on this. Or does it diminish it because we don't know any of the names of the people? Or does it ju- is it a wash? Does it do nothing? Do you think this is going to change how many people come out and vote in any of those wards?
0: No, I, I think it's a wash. Uh, uh, there will be interest, there's no doubt about it, but... If you have 13 people running, which we've seen in past elections— and Twenty-two, wasn't it, at one point? Which, I, one of which them. I think was the record. Um, you, you, we really have not seen a significant increase in voter turnout. We see a significant increase in voter turnout when there is a pivotal question, a referendum-type question, uh, that, that is a part of that. And perhaps LRT uh, will spark that interest this time
1: well and and again the fact that uh four of the well, three of the louder voices in the lrt debate are now have vacated their seat uh that is well possible that is very possible that that vacuum could be that could be what is up for grabs or up for discussion or decides these i would expect uh brad clark always love having you on thanks for doing this we appreciate it we'll talk to you again soon
0: take
1: care uh really interesting though that we have four see I, see i love this not because I have anything personal against any of the candidates. I, you know what? I applaud anyone who puts themselves up to run for political office and runs in an election. I just like the idea that we're going to have some elections, some campaigns, some contests, as opposed to the usual, is an incumbent? Oh, they're in. This is way, way, way better.
0: You're listening to the Scott Radley Show podcast on 900 CHML.
1: Last time you probably heard us mention the Hamilton Bulldogs on here was back in may when they won the ontario hockey league championship went to the memorial cup you remember all that right great season finished strong got to raise the trophy first time in a long long time since a hamilton team did that and so some people are saying hey you know what can't wait to see what they can do next year there's going to be some guys gone but they're going to have most of the core back they're going to have their coaches back it's going to be great we're going to do that well little news today that popped up john gruden And now for those of you who don't follow the Bulldogs, this would be the hockey John Gruden, not the guy who was on Monday Night Football and is now the coach of the LA Raiders. Uh, John Gruden, the Bulldogs head coach, announced today that he is leaving the team to join the New York Islanders. Got a promotion. He's joining the NHL. You know, the NHL, you don't have to take buses from all over the place. You don't have to drive to Sault Ste. Marie by bus. You get to fly everywhere. First class hotels. It's a good deal. But he is gone now. So suddenly the Bulldogs are in a position where they are having to find a replacement and it's going to have some impact. Joining me to talk about this, Terry Pekoski of The Spectator who covers the team for the paper. How are you today? I'm good. How are you? I am great. Uh, You know, first thing, and you probably did the same thing. First thing I heard when I heard that John Gruden was going to the New York Islanders was think, he is aware John Tavares just left there, right? (laughs) Right. (laughs) <laughs> this this would have been <laughs> a way better gig. Yeah, this would have been a way better gig about two months ago.
2: Yeah, yeah, uh, no doubt about that. But you know what he he is known after his been in Hamilton for uh, making the you know the best of, of what he's given. So this could be the perfect situation for him.
1: Are you surprised that he would get whether it's here or anywhere else? Are you surprised he would get an NHL opportunity this quickly because he's only been here two years.
2: Uh, NHL, maybe the fact that he is moving on to a pro team of one sort or another doesn't surprise me at all. In fact, I kind of thought that we would hear some sort of announcement a bit sooner than we did. Um, but certainly this is, this is sort of a giant leap forward. I might've anticipated maybe an AHL head coaching job in the interim or something like that. Um, but certainly this is, this is a great, uh, a, a great move for him. And I think he, you know, obviously he did some things over the last two seasons in Hamilton that really, really impressed some people at, at these higher levels.
1: Why did you think it might have happened earlier? Just because it was fresh in people's minds?
2: Because it was fresh in people's minds. Because of other people who, uh, I'm, Drew Bannister immediately leaps to mind. I mean, he was the coach of the Sioux Greyhounds. He was immediately hired, I think, by the San Antonio Rampage to take over as their head coach after the playoffs. And, um, you know, Hamilton beat the Sioux in, in that final championship series. So, I mean, I, I think there are, you know, other guys of his caliber in the league that um, were getting these coaching appointments. Uh, Jay Verity from Kingston is another example. And, you know, Hamilton beat both of those teams in the playoffs. So, and, and his reputation, I think, yeah. Um, speaks for himself i know the players loved him in hamilton and he has a very good reputation and in, in the coaching community
1: it's clear that you don't necessarily want to lose your head coach if your team especially if you've got a winning head coach but steve steos today was talking about how this is a great thing for this team uh, because it shows that the entire franchise, the entire organization is developing not just players, but coaches as well. That this, the OHL exists to make people better so they can move on to higher levels. I get the theory, and I believe probably most of the way Steve actually, do, I mean, do you buy that? Do you really think that Steve Steos? and I know I'm asking you to put yourself into his head, but do you mm-hmm. think he is as thrilled as he sounds by this? Or is he sort of happy for John Gruden, but going, ah, oh, crap! Now I got to find someone else who can do the job.
2: Yeah, I mean, I, I do buy it, uh, and I think he's probably disappointed in the same way. He will be disappointed if he loses Robert Thomas next season. Um, you know, the whole goal of the Ontario Hockey League is to, you know, is to develop players and develop coaches. And we talked about this, and I, I, I think that this makes it easier for other coaches. To come here. I mean, when you see that obviously he's been given the tools and the personnel and, you know, whatever sort of freedom he was given to implement his systems and so forth, uh, other high-caliber coaches who are on their way up, like he was, are going to see that. And I think that makes Hamilton an attractive option to them. And I think for Steve Steyo, that's probably a good thing. Does it suck to lose, you know, a great head coach? Sure. Uh, but, you know, he, he will leave a mark, I think, on this organization and that will be good for the future of it.
1: So you think this sends messages around the league and around hockey that the Hamilton Bulldogs have put together the kind of organization that you would want to be part of?
2: Absolutely. And I think it's, you can say exactly the same thing about the players. You know, this is a good sign in the same way that getting a handful of players drafted to the NHL or signing NHL contracts, um, is a good thing for an organization, um, I, I do think they're sort of one and the same.
1: But what about for fans? Are fans going to look at it the same way and say, oh, yeah, terrific that our head coach that took us to a championship is now gone, or are they going to say, wait a second, I'm having a hard time finding the real good part about this?
2: Yeah, I think they'll be I think they'll be disappointed. I, I mean, that remains to be seen. It depends on who, who was hired, and I think that might have more of an effect on what the fan reaction is to this. If someone new comes in and blows up everything that was working uh, previously, it might be a bit less palatable, but um, you know the other thing to keep in mind is he, he would be working with a dramatically different group this this coming season. Um, he did a very good job with what
1: was given to him last year. So it was so it's going to be
2: different no matter what. So so uh, good it,
1: time to jump when you're right on top.
2: <laughs> I would say so uh, for him for sure. Um, and, and it's, you know, it's, it's going to be tough. It, it was always going to be tough for whoever was in that position at the start of this season because the dynamics of this team are, are going to change so much with so many players graduating and the success that they had.
0: You're listening to the Scott Radley Show podcast on 900 CHML.
1: John Gruden, head coach of the Hamilton Bulldogs, is gone. Flew the coop for good reason. He's gone to be an assistant coach with the New York Islanders. Anybody in his position would have done the exact same thing. You're going to the NHL, bigger salary, flying around, first-class airplanes, people with fans peeling grapes and dropping them into your mouth while you lie on... I don't know. I don't know if they do that part in the NHL. But anyway, uh, Terry, This we were talking just before the break about how this team is going to be different. How different is the team that whoever becomes the new head coach is going to have from what John Gruden had at the end?
2: Uh, it is difficult at this point to, to know exactly how different it will be or in what respects it will be different, only that it will be. Um, so they know for a fact. I mean, they had, what, 12 or 13 players that are going to be moving on at the end of the season just because you can't have them all back as overagers. You can have three at the most. Um, so those guys are going to be gone. What three you will get back? Who knows? Because you have no idea who is going to make um, a minor league roster or even make the, the NHL. So, you know, it's tough to say what what the strengths and weaknesses will be. I mean, they could they could lose goalie Kidd and and that completely sort of turns things on its head. Uh, so it will be different. In what ways will it be different? We don't know. But uh, it will be a lot younger. You can say that for sure. Um, and... Uh, you know, a lot, a lot less experienced. So the, you know, that that is certain. Those two things.
1: Well, and and John Gruden did a great job. I mean, he had great players, especially by the end. But when he first arrived, uh, there were a lot of questions, and I and I had them too. I'm I was leading the way. The questions around John Gruden. For those who don't know the whole backstory, I'm not going to go into the whole backstory. But he came from a bonkers, crazy situation in Flint where he was actually fired twice in the same season, which I think may have been the first time ever for a coach anywhere. And there was a story behind it, but when he arrived here, what you were left with were the questions of, is he a mediocre coach who was the, the craziness of that situation obscured the fact that he was only mediocre or was he a really good coach caught up in a terrible situation that made him look bad? Uh, we didn't know that. So what did you expect when he first arrived here?
2: Sure. I mean, what we did know was what had happened in, in Flint, and it, you're right, it was bonkers. And, uh, you know, the other thing we knew is that his players, even through that crazy time, stuck with him. Um, you know, they, they walked out on his behalf, they really believed in him. So, that I think said something right off the bat about the type of coach that he was maybe not a, a but whether he was a good coach in terms of winning record, that sort of thing. But um, he clearly sort of had the players on his side. And I think over the years in Hamilton, over the last couple of years, that sort of, you saw that play out. He, he is, I mean, people use this term to death, he's a player's coach. Um, so that, that he proved, and that's something you could see right off the bat. Whether he, you know, was any good at developing players and, and ultimately winning, um, we had no idea when he first was hired here. Uh, and it took some time. It took a couple seasons, but Steve Steyo gave him the tools this year, and that was a huge, huge part of it. So this wasn't just coaching uh, that made, you know, the Bulldogs championship run this year. Um, it, it, you know, it, it was all those things coming together. So, you know, he, we didn't know this about him at first, but he is, he's a winner. He's, well, um, yeah.
1: yeah. And, and so you get this pick by Steve Steyo's back when he hired him. And I think that everybody at the time that, Steve made that hire. Everyone went, ooh, okay. This is this is the guy. Okay, all right. But
2: In- including Michael Anlauer, the owner. So there there were, and including, I mean, John John Gruden was sort of shocked himself. I mean, it, everyone was surprised at the beginning.
1: Okay, so you get this situation where Steve Stays goes way out on a limb, takes a guy that probably nobody else is going to take, believes wholeheartedly that this is the guy. Turns out to be right, but it was a bit of a flyer. Is there a danger then? That if that for Steve Stales, having done this and hit a home run on that out there pick, that you go and try to do the same thing again. And I'm not sure you can catch that kind of lightning in a bottle time after time after time. Or do you just go with the safe pick this time? Or what do you do if you're Steve Stales?
2: I don't know. I mean the the good thing for him is that he appears to have, you know, quite a few options. He, he said that even before this was announced that he had been um, speaking with people interviewing potential candidates because he had a sense that this was, you know, a possibility and not that he was looking to get rid of John Cruden. Of course, it has nothing to do with anything like that. He would have kept him as long as he was willing to stay. But, uh, you know, he um, he was he was doing that. So he. There are people in the running, there are people interested as there were the first time around. And I remember talking to him back then, two years ago, and I mean, some of the names that were being floated at the time, these are, you know, high caliber candidates. So is he going to take another flyer on someone? Who knows, but uh, well, he's also but he got some options.
1: But Terry, he's also got one other thing though, that is new this time that really, I, th- I don't know if it complicates it, but Steve staos is the general manager of Canada's world junior team coming up this Christmas. That's a mm-hmm. huge extra amount of work. So now he's got that. He's in Calgary right now for meetings with that. Plus he's got to run the Bulldogs. Now he's got to find a coach. You start to pile a lot of stuff on the plate and uh, you know with all the great things that steve stales did and he built a championship team in very short order you do wonder how much time there is in a day to be able to work to make all these things happen
2: oh sure you do sure you do um and i don't know maybe his you know the other people on his coaching staff will have some say in it although i'm sure guys like dave Matsos and and uh Vince Lee, his assistant coach right now probably want to be in the running themselves um yeah, so it, it is. It is a lot. He's going to be a, a busy guy this summer.
1: Terry Pekoski of the Hamilton Spectator, always appreciate the time. Thanks for doing this. Thank you. That is, uh, so yeah, so John Gruden is now gone, so there will be a new head coach of the Bulldogs. We don't know who, but we know, all we know is that last time when Steve Stales had to make a hire for a head coach, he went way, way off the beaten path, way off the predicted pathway of of who he was going to take we'll see if that happens again because there are people you would say oh that's a logical choice well with Steve Steos, I kind of am expecting that when they make the announcement we'll go huh and then we'll see if in two years he made the right pick again because this time he did absolutely he did and good for John Gruden for getting this spot with his chance with the Islanders
0: you're listening to the Scott Radley Show podcast on 900 CHML
1: Bubba O'Neill from CHCH sir how are you today
3: Today was supposed to be, as I said in the news today, it was supposed to be the day of sports oblivion.
1: Yes, it was, but it um, wasn't. But,
3: so, But it, it wasn't in a, in a big way.
1: Okay, so let me set this thing up, and I will let you correct me at any point that you disagree with what I'm saying as I do this setup here. But what happened today is the Toronto Raptors that have disappointed in the playoffs, have great regular seasons, but have been very disappointing in the playoffs, decided today to make a huge change, and they traded their best player, Dermar DeRozan, to San Antonio to the Spurs, for Kawhi Leonard, who is one of the best players in the league, a better player than DeMar DeRozan, for sure. So you look at it and you say, okay, you know what, if I'm a casual fan, I go, wow, the Raptors got a better player. Beauty. The challenge is where the twist in this thing comes and where we disagree and where this thing starts to divide people is that DeMar DeRozan has a bunch of years left on his contract and loved playing in Toronto. Kawhi Leonard is a bit of a moody, bit of a petulant guy who has already said he wants to go to Los Angeles. He only wants to play in Los Angeles and has one year left on his contract. So after this coming season, there is a very good chance, no guarantee, but a very good chance he will bail on Toronto and go to the Los Angeles Lakers. So the trade basically is we've upgraded our one player, but we may be only having a one-year window in order to be good. I say that Masai Ujiri, who's the general manager of the Toronto Raptors, is out of his mind. You, I understand, differ on that one.
3: Yeah, it's not even, I mean, this is, when you have an opportunity, you got to remember, this is not baseball, this is not hockey, um, this is not soccer. In the NBA, it's there. there is no more star-driven league than the NBA. You need stars to win. And it has been proven time and time again, especially over the last decade, that teams without stars don't win. Kawhi Leonard, when you have an opportunity to get the, a player of Kawhi Leonard's ability, you got to go out and get him. Now, I could say that almost about any sport, but there are some particulars with the Raptors, where we have seen this team as constituted knocking on the door, as you said, having these excellent regular seasons. In fact, last year, Eastern Conference winners, first time in team history, 59 wins, franchise high, but swept out of the playoffs. In fact, three of the last four years, this team have been swept away from the playoffs. But then your argument would be, well, LeBron James is gone. He's now L.A. Laker. He's out of the West. When you examine the Raptors' playoff record over the last five years, minus the games against the Cleveland Cavaliers, they're barely a 500 club. As constituted yesterday, the team and that roster cannot win an NBA championship. Something had to be done, especially after this, the disappointment that we saw this season. So you change a head coach, and now you have an opportunity to roll the dice. Is it a chance? Absolutely. No risk, no reward, or you continue to get mediocrity and a great regular season. But no-playoff success. To me, the idea is to win championships. Masai Jury did the right move.
1: Okay, here's where I disagree with you. I agree with that last line you said. Well, the second last line you said. The idea is to win championships. Even with Kawhi Leonard on the roster for the Toronto Raptors, there is less chance of the Raptors winning an NBA title when they would have to go up against probably Golden State in the final. There is less chance of them winning a championship than there is of me growing an Afro by tomorrow morning. It is not ever going to happen, and at that point, then what I would do if I can't win with the team I've got, I'm going to trade Demar Derozan or Kyle Lowry for guys down the road for future stars, for guys who are going to give me a number of years, hopefully, then that I can build and peak when the Golden State Warriors get a little older and start to age and drop off. This to me, uh,
3: but that's where you—that's where you're—you're. You're, you're, I hear what you're saying, Scott, and that in many situations, you what you're saying would lend absolutely true. But what Masai Adjiri has done in this time is provide you with exactly what you're talking about. Fred Van Vliet, Lorenzo Brown, DeLon Wright, Norman Powell, uh, O.G. Ananobi, Pascal Siakam, those are your young – this team is ready to win. It has a, a certain amount of starters and Lowry and Valanciunas, your veteran players, who are peaking. You have these young players that are on the rise. And in this deal, what people aren't talking about is that you gave up only Jakob Pertl, a player that you have three of, basically. So you know what? you got to give to get. But what you're also getting back is Danny Green, who, let's face it, uh, he's a guy that set the NBA record for most three-pointers in, a, in, a, in NBA Finals. And on top of that, you look at me for people that are into the basketball analytics. He is top three in almost every single defensive category. So this team got tougher. You also, because in Kawhi Leonard, you got a two-time Defensive Player of the Year. He's one of only three players in NBA history to win NBA Defensive Player of the Year and MVP of the
1: playoffs. And that's so there's great.
3: Those other, other three players, uh, Jordan and Hakeem Olajuwon.
1: But that's great, but here's the problem with that theory, and this is why, another reason. First of all, I go back to my point. I don't believe that even if the Raptors get to the finals this year, they have even a snowball's chance of beating Golden State. And, if, and I heard a lot of people today saying, you know what, the Raptors with this trade now can get to the NBA Finals. When did getting to the finals become the goal? Winning a championship is. I've heard all kinds of people today saying this may be, they may be the best in the East now. Look, if the if the target is now simply to get to the NBA Finals, and that's as much as anyone thinks that the Raptors or anyone else in the East could do, the NA, NBA is fatally and irrevocably broken and needs to reevaluate itself. If there's no chance that a team in you the can't East can't say that there's no there chance, there is no chance.
3: You're, the Golden State Warriors almost got beaten in the playoffs this year.
1: Yeah, because by they, by teams they went, they in the West.
3: To, they went to seven games.
1: By teams in the West, nobody in the East would have been able to even win a game against them.
3: The Raptors, the last year, the Raptors were were a two and oh team against Houston last year in the in the regular season. In The regular season, but I mean, I, I don't know what else to go on. No, you don't but have any, another one for sure. But, any, but anything else? I mean, you. I mean, I hear what you're saying, but nothing is a guarantee, Scott. Nothing no, is no, a guarantee. No championship is a guarantee, but get me a team that gets me there. All right? We have, we've gone as far as you can go with this lineup. And, and it needs change. And I and that's why you got rid of Coach Casey. Coach of the year for crying out loud. Yeah, I know. voices, the voice is clearly, I mean, uh, Messiah Jerry is not, not a dummy. I'm sure he did his interviews. I'm sure that there was a comfort level with Coach Casey. But what we're hearing right now from guys like DeLon Wright that have opened their mouths, they're saying Nick Nurse is a guy that's a tough guy to play for. In sense, in the sense of that he's, his his demands are going to be higher, and that these guys are going to have to raise their level. So this team needed a facelift in terms of the
1: face. One hundred percent, I agree. You weren't going to win with Demar Derozan, so I'm not arguing against trading Demar Derozan. That's not what I'm arguing against. I'm saying though, you've now traded for a guy who has made it a abundantly clear that he only wants to play in Los Angeles. Now you can is- say. You can say no, no. You can say you can say that that's a petulant attitude. You can say that's an immature attitude. All that is true. But he has made it clear that's where he wants to play. So here's my prediction: He's going to come to Toronto because if he sits out for the whole year, like originally some people were saying, he was going to just that's not was, report. That was, that was never going to happen. That was goofy because he'll still owe the Raptors. It'll he'll owe them a year in perpetuity. He'll never get out of this contract. So he's got to play his year. He's going to come to Toronto. He's going to be sulky. He's going to ruin the dressing room chill that they had and the, and the thing oh, that's, going there.
3: That's, that's an unbelievable... Okay, and
1: then but, he's going to come up with some sort of mysterious injury 15 oh, or 20 on, games stop. into the season, and that's you're, the you're last you'll it, see of you're him. You're
3: making it into a soap opera. That's what's going to... He that, is a soap that, opera. He was a soap
1: opera all last all right. year in San, San Antonio.
3: Hey, hey, apparently, there's a lot of stuff that we don't know about in terms of the medical situation. Well, I mean, I, I just, I'm not close enough to the... You know, I mean, that, that team's obviously in San Antonio. I'm hearing split opinions on that. Uh, that in terms of the, the, the diagnosis of the quad injury and all of that I mean but anyway, to me that's, a, I got, that's, that's San Antonio's problem. all right that, that's, to me that's not the Raptors problem. He passes He's going to pass his physical, he's ready to go, ready to play. And I'm going to say this too. Kyle Lowry had to, wanted nothing to do with Toronto. He has now resigned twice. Even players like Vince Carter and uh, Chris Bosch, and who eventually left because they didn't believe the team was going to win, and they went to teams that they thought were going to win. Those are guys that signed in this city for multiple times. They would all tell you the same thing, that their perceptions of Toronto from before they came here, as a guy that either was just from college or guys that just came in here uh, as, uh, as players on other teams, when they come here, their perceptions change. Josh Donaldson didn't want to be in Toronto and he changed his mind, and he's probably going to get traded for other reasons now, but he fell in love with Toronto. He is, I'm already reading some places from NBA Insiders that Kawhi Leonard's stance on Toronto is beginning to change, he's beginning to soften. It's the same thing for DeRozan. He's upset. Any one of these players that get traded for the first time, it's like losing your first girlfriend. And you're upset, you're mad, you're, you're, you're depressed, all of that kind of stuff. But when it comes time to lace up, and when it comes time to win and possibly get to an NBA championship, and maybe even win one, who knows, anything can happen. This is sports. Did anyone think the New England Patriots were going to lose to the Philadelphia Philadelphia Eagles? Not a hope in hell, but it did happen. So every, any opportunity you have to improve your team, even if it's on a one-year, Paul, I'm going to tell you another one. Paul Maybe our, our listeners don't know much about a guy by the name of Paul George, he was an all-star player who played with the okay he was playing with the Oklahoma City Thunder. He is a Los Angeles native and he has said for his entire career that he wants to get to Los Angeles. This was the year that it could have happened. Los Angeles pitched him the uh, pitched him money and then something for whatever reason and made him stay in Oklahoma City because he fell in love with the community. Anything can happen
1: anything can happen. You're right. Uh, a giant chunk of frozen airplane toilet material can fall through the roof of your house. That has happened to people land in their living room. Anything is possible to happen. I just can't see Kawhi Leonard who has been absolutely adamant for a long time now that LA is where he is going to go. I just don't see it. I just don't see it. And so here's, here's the thing. So look, let me back off for one second. If you turn out to be right, if Masayu Jerry turns out to be right, if you can sign this guy and he becomes your long-term piece to build around, then this is a really good trade for the Raptors. There's no question about that. But if this guy bolts after one year and misses a bunch of games, because he misses games every year with injuries, that's just fact. He misses a bunch of games with injuries. If he misses a bunch of games, if he doesn't play to his full potential, if he sulks, if he's not happy... This, this is the end for Masai Ujiri because this is the biggest swing and miss for a general manager that you could have because you have given away your best player for a rental piece. This is the difference. Lots of teams trade for rentals, but they do it to complement the core that you have to put you over the top. You don't give away one of your core pieces for the rentals. Nobody does that. That's why this is such a unique hey, trade.
3: Scott, Scott look, look, look beyond what you're thinking here, what you're saying there. Do you not maybe think that somewhere within his hearts of hearts, that the general manager and president of the Raptors has realized? And I know what you're saying. You're saying trade. Why would I trade away? Why would you trade away a guy that's got three more years left on his contract
1: and who loves maybe Toronto?
3: A guy who loves Toronto, but who a guy that for a president and general manager that has watched this guy play and grow for pretty much you know almost all of his career maybe the general manager and the president has come to the conclusion that, you know what, I can't win with this guy. Right? Oh, this no, is, I agree. This, 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 I this, agree this, with this, that. This, and maybe that's why he's deemed him expendable. You know, have you been happy with DeMar's playoff performance?
1: No, I, I, I think that, absol- that part of it, that part of it is absolutely right. I okay. believe, I this, agree this with Masai Ujiri that he had to be traded.
3: This is why he's maybe said, you know what, even with this, I can't win with this guy. You, do you remember the last game in the Raptors series when he got kicked out, Yep. when he scored like seven points? And
1: sat on the bench for the second that, half.
3: And no, that was game three. That was game three when the Raptors, in their best, their best moments of that four-game series against yep. Cleveland, was the third and fourth quarter when the bunch of kids, C.J. Miles and Kyle Lowry, were on the floor. Maybe he, maybe he realizes we don't need DeMar to win. Maybe he realizes that DeMar, in a game that is wide open, that is reliant on the three-point shooting game, DeMar DeRozan is not a, a great... In fact, he's a horrible three-point shooter. And you look at the statistics and the Raptors in their all-time history. DeMar DeRozan is one to three in almost every single category. And the three-pointers made in three-point percentage, he's not even on the list.
1: So I'm I'm about, happy. You,
3: you talk about culture change and yep. needing to change his team, maybe DeMar DeRozan isn't the good fit that we all think
1: he is. I'm happy to trade DeMar DeRozan because I'm with you. I don't think that he's a guy that's going to carry you. We've seen enough now that knowing the playoffs, he, he he's a good regular season player, he's a very good basketball player, but in the playoffs he's just not done it. So I'm okay with trading him. I would simply say if I'm going to trade my franchise core piece, I want something that I have some confidence is going to be there for a little while because if, and again, you disagree, I agree, but nonetheless, if Kawhi Leonard walks away at the end of next year, you are left with nothing for DeMar DeRozan. Kyle Lowry's got one year left on his deal and is now 33 years old. You have gone from a team that had 59 wins to not a rebuild, because as you said off the top, you've got a bunch of young, good players, but you don't have a star in that mix. You, yeah, and you said does. off the top, you need a star in you, this you league. Do. You, you do, don't do. have a you star. I
3: absolutely do. But I do believe if Kawhi, if they get nothing for him, which I still don't think is going to happen, because I believe if the Raptors are not in contention with Kawhi or whatever the case is, or or for, the, for all you know, and, and this is the other equation that people have not talked about here, maybe besides smarter than we all think, Maybe he has no idea. Maybe he has no intention of Kawhi of having Kawhi Leonard play for him. Maybe he's hanging that te- that player as a lollipop to either the Clippers or the Los Angeles Lakers. And the Lakers have a couple of young studs.
1: Oh, we want that, LeBron.
3: That, 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 well, do LeBron. <laughs> that, that, that's not gonna happen. But there's a couple of players there that he could milk out of either one of those teams. That would still improve the Raptors. Please
1: tell us that he doesn't want Lonzo Ball to come to to Toronto. No, no, (laughs) no. His father is
3: his dad's kind of place.
1: Uh, Just before I let you go, uh, and I love this discussion, just before I let you go, the saddest thing about this whole story today, which was predictable, you knew this was going to happen, but there's a story in the Star, Toronto to Kawhi Leonard. You'll like it here. How come we have to always sound like the pleading... Wimpy uh, Southern Ontario. Oh, please like us. Yeah, please, we have ethnic restaurants. Please like us. Sure. Come know, on, we're it, better it, than that by it, now. It, it, it
3: really is, and you know, and like I said, you, when you talk to so many of the NBA players that that you know are either here temporarily because of you know they're playing another team or whatever, they're stunned. They're shocked at the culture, yeah. the diversity, the 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 things. Other they like you know what? You know, I can get everything here in Toronto except ESPN right? That's the only thing that bothers them now, is that they can't. And
1: you can get ESPN. You can now stream ESPN. Here's Uh, the other thing. Here's the other thing Toronto has going against it, which I will say, is how many years ago was the All-Star game in Toronto? Two years ago? I think it was. That the NBA All-Star game was in Toronto? Yes. And if people remember... Somehow the basketball gods had it in for Toronto because oh, that, was was cold. oh, that was the coldest snap of any winter for about seven years. You really you stepped was. outside and your lips froze together. I mean it was nasty. And all these guys who were from the south come up here to play in the All Star Game. And go no chance. There is no way I'm ever coming back here. You need a dog team to get around up here. So that's probably part of what Kawhi Leonard is thinking too. What he remembers.
3: Yeah. Well. Anyway, again, I, I, it, it, hey, this is again a day that's supposed to have nothing turned into a whole, a whole lot of something.
1: You were you were all set. Just this was mail it in Wednesday for you. This it was really going to be Bubba sitting at the desk putting on old clips of nineteen seventy five Wide World of Sports barrel jumping highlights. They wouldn't let me. I would have watched that actually. They just won't let me. Not today. Hey, always appreciate you coming on. Thanks for doing this. Thanks
3: for having me. Great Scott. talk, Scott.
1: That is uh, Bob O'Neill from CHCH. You can see him tonight on there. There's, I say, lots to talk about. Lots and lots to talk about. I would love to hear your thoughts on this because it's one of those stories that I think goes a little beyond just whether or not you're a Raptors fan or something else. It is the theory of if you were in a position to make a move like this, do you do it or not? When you Do you go with long-term certainty with a guy who loves your franchise and is a really good player, or roll the dice hoping to catch lightning in a bottle on a great player who has no interest in being in your city and wants to go to Los Angeles as fast as he possibly can but may allow you to be better next year if he can stay healthy, which one would you do? Radley at 900chml.com. I'd love to hear your thoughts on this. I'd love to hear whether you're a gambler or a safe player. See, I lean towards the safe side of things. I would rather have a guy who I know. And then when the day comes, you go for it. You go for it in a way when you need to add a complimentary piece. That would be my sense. I would keep DeRozan or trade DeRozan for something, but that at least would leave me with somebody who wanted to be here and would help me long-term. However... However, I'm also not a general manager, and maybe that's why. Maybe it's because I don't have the the taste to risk everything. Maybe that's why I don't go to casinos. I don't have the taste to go all in on a pair of sevens and hope and pray that it's going to work out. Remember, there was a guy a few years ago, and I think they made a TV show about this, who arranged with a casino, and they agreed to go on board with this, that he was playing one hand of blackjack, and he was wagering everything he owned on planet Earth. Now, he was not an overly wealthy guy. He had a car and he had some other things, and it was worth, you know, 30 or 40. The whole thing, the whole package was probably worth 40 or 50 grand, everything he owned. But he came up with a deal with them that he, on one blackjack hand, risked every single thing he owned, down to the underwear on his body, I presume. I, they probably would have let him walk out dressed somewhat. But uh, yeah, or the underwear on his head from the last segment. Would you do that to double to potentially double it? Would you risk You could walk out of there literally with the clothes on your back and that's it. You've got nothing else, but you could also walk out a much, much, much wealthier person. That's really what this story is. That's what this kind of thing is. Would you do that on one hand? On one blackjack hand, would you go all in for everything? I would... If you put me in that position and you force me to do that, I would never actually get to the end of the hand because my heart attack would kick in and my aneurysm before the cards were dealt and I'd be dead and it wouldn't matter because the stress would... I could not... Will, would you be able to do that? Would you be that kind of guy that would be able to do that? Or are you like me? You go, ah, no, that's way too much.
3: I am more of a gambler. I, I do like a good risk and I'm willing to take one, but I am thinking about this. If we are literally putting everything I own... Including the awesome socks I'm wearing right now? No, I no, don't think I would do that. They'd
1: probably let you keep your socks and underwear, but the rest is gone. I that's too much for me. And that's but that's what that is in basketball terms what Masayu Jerry in a lot of ways did with this trade. That's why I find it so interesting. It is such a philosophical story. More than a basketball story. To me, it is a philosophical story about what is your level of risk you're willing to take. He has thrown all in on pair of sevens. Maybe not even on a pair of sevens. He's throwing in all in on a 3 7 split in poker. Is that the right terminology? I don't know. I want to make sure I have pocket aces before I'm going all in. And even then, parts of me that I'm not going to describe are clenching while I'm doing this because someone's probably got something else that's going to beat me. I just know this. This is Murphy's Law. Anyway.
0: The Scott Radley Show. Weekday evenings from 6 to 8 on 900 CHML.